Um, kids can be dismissed. Go to kids' church now, if you would like, with Miss Carolyn. Thanks, guys. Man, I say it every week. I, I said it at the beginning. I mean it. It's good to be here today. It's good to be here today. Kirsten and Wade are out of town. They are visiting some family, and that's weird for me, maybe for church too. Diane said, where's Wade? And I said, he's not here. She goes, so that's okay. He'll be back next week, though. Don't worry. So, uh, uh, but yeah, it's been weird for him not to be around, but that's okay. That's beside the point. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, I have a story. When I was in college, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I lived on a dorm uh, in, in like the freshman boys dorm. I went to a Nazarene school, so it was like guys in one dorm, girls in the other. And, and so I had this floor of like 45 people the same age as me who uh, were all in the similar life stage as me. And it was a pretty cool experience because all these people were like, it was just instant friends with a bunch of people because they're all, you just get along. And of course, there's people with different personalities, but you're all in a very similar situation. And so I have some really great friends that I still keep in contact with uh, from that specific year of college. But one thing uh, comes to mind uh, when I read this scripture this week, and we had a friend named Rob. I called him Bob, even though that wasn't his name. His name was Rob, but uh, he was a football player. And uh, a, a few guys on our floor were football players, and they were our friends. But Rob had this special thing where he could fall asleep at any time, in any place, until someone woke him up. It was crazy. I, I think it might have been, like, borderline medical, right? Like, he, could, he fell asleep everywhere in class. He was a ministry student, one of the best guys I know. He's a pastor to this day. But he fell asleep in class all the time, and professors would come by and just kind of wake him up, you know? And so we... we uh, as freshmen uh, in college, guys hanging out on a weekend, or it wasn't a weekend, it was a weekday. We were staying up very late, like you do. We were just laughing and having fun, and Rob was a part of that group. But it was late at night, and he fell asleep, like he always does, like every time, right? And so we're just still hanging out, and we kind of hatched this plan. Let's convince Rob that he has missed football practice and that his class starts in five minutes. Let's try to convince him this, right? And so one of our friends who was a football player, dressed up in his uniform and pretended like he was all messy and he just had practice and he woke him up and said, Rob, you got to get up. You got to get up. I said, you missed practice. You got to go to class. You got to get up right now. And it's three o'clock in the morning, right? But Rob just, oh, and he rolls out of bed and he grabs his towel and he goes and jumps in the shower for the quickest shower I've ever seen. And he gets, and he's like, oh, I got to go to class. And he comes back in the room. He's like, got his towel on and he's soaking wet. And all of us are cracking up because he, we've successfully tricked him, right? He thinks it's time to go to practice or to, to, to class. And so it's a hilarious story that I'll never forget because he was convinced that it was time to go to class. He was absolutely convinced. It was hilarious, and, and it's something I'll never forget, and, and, and he's someone I'll never forget, but, but he didn't know what time it was. He did not understand what time it was, because when you know what time it is, you know what you have to do, right? You gotta know what time it is. Rob did not know what time it was. And as I read our scripture this week, it's in Romans chapter 13, uh, there's a portion of it that talks about knowing the time, and it, that story just came to mind. You gotta know what time it is. But let's read the scripture today. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, there's Bibles in your pews. If you have a Bible with you, that's okay. It's Romans 13, 8 to 14. 13, 8 to 14. That's what it says. Owe no one anything. Hmm. I have a different version on my paper than the screen. I apologize. That's okay. I'm just going to read what I've got. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake up from sleep. 
for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then aside the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery, not in quarreling, not in jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. Well, today, the theme, the scripture, the point that I, that I hope us all to hear, and this is something, it's on the wall outside. This is a perfect scripture uh, for the mission of our church. I hope you've seen it. I hope you don't come to this place without knowing that's what we hope to do and hope to be as a church. The point of today is love God, love your village to the ends of the earth. Love God, love your village to the ends of the earth. And Paul writes in Romans, and he begins talking about debt, right? And debt is kind of a a topic that we stray away from. Uh, We don't really, it usually relates to money in our society, right? Debt and money is not things that we talk about all that much, uh, and that's okay. Um, But as as a society, we understand debt. We know what debt is because we can't buy things without debt sometimes, right? Like I have a home mortgage. That means that I'm paying for a house, but I don't actually own it. I have debt, right? I have debt from when I went to school. Uh, that's a thing that we, that we live with. And, and I don't think Paul's necessarily saying you can't have any debt, right? Uh, but Paul is making a point here. But, but we understand debt. And this is something interesting I found out this week, okay? Debt, we don't, under, we don't only understand debt. We, like, we welcome it, right? That's kind of the society we have become a part of. Credit card debt, okay? This is, and that's a, that's a sort of dangerous kind of debt if you talk about uh, the financial world. Credit card debt. In America get this, blew my mind. In America, just in America, credit card debt is over $1 trillion. $1 trillion. That means that if ever, there are 330 plus million people, 330-ish million people in America. That means every single human being in America, which obviously isn't true because kids don't have credit cards, right? That means on average, every single human being in America has over $3,000 worth of debt. The actual average for adults is like 6000 some dollars. The point I'm making is, it's not that not anything about credit card, the point I'm making is we understand debt. We know uh, what that means. And I think the reason Paul talks about debt in this way is, uh, besides the fact that in, before this in Romans 13, he's talking all about the law, um, but the reason that he says this is because when we are indebted to someone, we are under them. We owe them something. And so Paul says, don't be indebted to anyone except indebted to love one another. He says, don't be under anyone else. Don't be worried about paying back all these things because that can take away from what we're supposed to be worrying about. Debt is so normal. Debt is so accepted. Don't be indebted to anyone because that means that you're a slave to someone else. If you're indebted financially, that means that all the money you make, only a little bit of it is yours because the rest of it has to go to the people and the places that you owe. When you're indebted to someone or to something, you're under it. You're a slave to it. And I really like that Paul uses love in this same scenario. He uses love saying that you need to love your neighbor, that love fulfills the law. You need to be indebted in love to one another. Because while we should not have any debt, we should be indebted in love, which means we should feel as if, first, we must love. We are under this thing where we have to love. 
We need to be indebted to loving one another. Why is that? It's because God first loved us. It's because Jesus Christ died for us. Even while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Don't be indebted to anything, to anyone, other than indebted in love to your neighbor. The only debt we should ever be under is the debt of love to our brothers and our sisters and our village and our neighbors, those around us. And he moves on into this next passage, into this next verse, and says, the commandments are these. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not covet. But these are all summed up in one thing, in one word, in one thought. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we know the Ten Commandments. They came to Moses. They're on tablets. The first tablet uh, contains the first five, and it has, uh, it has the ones that is our relationship to God. Like, put God first, and have no idols before you, and love no one other than God, and, and use his name with respect. These are the things on the first tablet. But the things that Paul is relating to, is talking about, are the, same, the, the, the next five. These are about our relationship with others right? Because that's how a relationship with God works. It's with him and it's with others. It's about relationship to those people around us. And so murder and, and, and stealing and, and adultery and coveting, that's something that is in relationship to those around us. Those things, those first three, right? Uh, I'm trying to find the verse here. Those first three, committing adultery, murdering, stealing, those are things that you do unto someone else, right? You, you, you purposely go out of your way and do something. But the next one, covet, that's in your heart, right? And so it's interesting that there are, there are three things that are physical, that are like verbs, action things, and then there's one thing that's in your heart. But I think the reason it's in this same thing where Paul writes it's in the Ten Commandments is because God knows what's in your heart makes its way out. What's in your heart, the covetousness in your heart is what leads to murder and adultery and theft if you want something so bad, it's all you think about. If you want something so bad, you'll do anything for it. That's what leads to improper relationship with those around you. If you want someone dead, it's all you can think about, and you kill them. That's coveting so bad that, that then you do the thing that you felt in your heart, right? If you want someone so bad that you don't care if they're uh, a spouse of someone else or not, that's, that's what leads to committing adultery. Covetousness is in your heart, but it, it will come out. But this is what is the most interesting part of it all. As Paul says, all these commandments, and then, he, and then he includes some more. He says, actually, and any other commandment. So all these commandments and any other commandment, all inclusive, are summed up with this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you understand that God loves you, you can love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other way to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other way to love someone who isn't you as yourself without the power of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments, all of these things are summed up in one sentence, one thought, one word, one idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to kill him or steal from him or take their spouse, you're going to care about them as you care about yourself. Because what flows out of, of your relationship with others is how you treat people. God loves you. 
so we can love others. It is because, because God first loved us that we can love others. Love God. First and foremost, love God. Love your village to the ends of the earth. And the question comes to mind, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Well, simple answer, I have a neighbor named Ryan and a neighbor named Becky. That's their names. Very nice people. You guys probably have neighbors too. People live down the road. The people who live directly next to you. That's our neighbor. When we say that word, that's what we think about. The people who live next to us, across from us, across the hall, whatever, right? These are our neighbors. But who is our neighbor? Biblically speaking, when Paul says love your neighbor as yourself, is he saying love your neighbor who lives by you as yourself? Spoiler alert is yes. But there's more to it than that. Who is your neighbor? Well, we're actually going to move into a, a, a passage in the Gospel of Luke. And you can follow along if you want. I don't have this one on the screen. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it. I'm just going to read it for you. Uh, and I want to talk about that a little bit just so we can understand who it is that our neighbor is. So on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus says. How do you read it? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right, you've answered correctly. Do that, and you will live. But, but then he asked, well, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said this. He tells a story. This is how Jesus told a lot of stories in order to get a point across. It's, it's a great way to learn. It's a great way that I learn. And so I appreciate that he did this. I think he knows people listen to stories better than just words sometimes, right? So Jesus tells a story in response to who is my neighbor. This is what he says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving the man half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite was going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had pity on him. He went to him and brought him in the inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and if, if you incur any expenses outside of this money, I will give you more when I come back for him. And then Jesus asks the question after the story, which one of these men was the neighbor to the man who was beaten and robbed and hurt and left? And the expert in the law, the person who asked the question, says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Well, according to Jesus, he mentions nothing about people we know well who live near us. And I don't think he, he's saying that those people aren't our neighbors. He mentions nothing about the people down the road from us although I don't think he's excluding them from being our neighbors. He says, a man who, who no one knows, who has no name, who comes from somewhere you don't know, got beaten and robbed and left. Who was his neighbor? Another man who had never seen him before, didn't know his name, didn't know anything about him. A man who saw him, had compassion on him, took care of him, sacrificed financially, and all his resources, his time, his money, his everything, his donkey. That's who was his neighbor. The man who saw a need and fulfilled the need. 
A man who understood that it's more about others than himself. Who is our neighbor? I think it's as all-inclusive as in all the rest of the commandments. Everybody. Who is your neighbor? It's everybody, whether you've ever seen them before or not. And, and I don't want to focus so much on the people that you've never seen so that we neglect those we know because we can't do that. But I don't want to focus so much on those we know because then we neglect the people we don't and we can't do that. Your neighbor are the people around you. And when we say love God, love your village, our, our way of saying your neighbor, those around you, is your village. And because this church is in this village of Cardington, that's who we want to focus on most, right? That's who we, who we want to take care of as the church, who we want to show Jesus to. But your village is actually your neighbor who's actually everybody that you will ever come in contact with or that you even have to go out of your way to go in contact with if you, if you wouldn't otherwise. That is your neighbor. It's not someone you know or someone near to you. It's not just that. It's everybody. And Jesus has more to say about who a neighbor is than just that. He says, who was who the one who was his neighbor? Was it the one who ignored the person? Because they saw him, right? And they just decided, I don't really have time right now. It's hard. It's easy to judge those folks, but it's probably... I think we do it sometimes. Maybe not in quite an extreme circumstance. We don't see someone beaten on the side of the road and drive around them. But sometimes we drive around things we don't have time for. But Jesus says, who was his neighbor? And it's the one who not only stopped, but then sacrificed. He got off his donkey and he said, ride, ride my donkey. He, he wiped his wounds. He gave him his form of transportation. He took him to an inn. And then he gave him two denarii. You know what denarii is? It's money, right? You know how much money it is? It's a day's wages. One denarii is one day's wages. So think about that minimum wage in Ohio. That means that's like $90, okay? That's one day. So this guy gave at least $180 in our today's money to this innkeeper. Maybe more because a lot of people make more than that, right? But the point is, it wasn't just a five or a 10 that he had in his pocket. He probably pulled out his money bag and said, Take all of this, everything that I have, and take care of this man. This man I don't know, but this man who needs help. A neighbor is, is someone who, who cares for their neighbor. A neighbor isn't just the person who lives by you. It's the person who cares for people. Love your neighbor as yourself. As much as you care about yourself, we're selfish people. That's an instinct that humans get. As much as you care about yourself, as much as you care about your own well-being, care about that person who, who you see on the road. How do we do that? It's not easy. And, and, I, and we can't do it alone. We can only do it in view of what God has done for us. And with the understanding of God's love for us. Because when we understand God loves us, we get to be in God's family. And when we're in God's family, we get the power of God. And when we have the power of God, we can live in his love to those around us. We can love our neighbor as ourselves because God first loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for me. We can love because he loved us. We can love those we've never met before as ourselves because he loved us. 
We have to love those we've never met before because he loved us. And it's not like this rule. It's not like I must follow these rules or these commandments in order to do what I must do. It's like if you stop worrying about all the rules and start worrying about the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, you don't really have to worry so much about the stuff that tries to lead us to that, right? If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to kill them or covet stuff they have or steal from them. How can you do that? Because God did it for you. You didn't deserve it, but he died for you. You didn't deserve it, but he, he healed you. He loved you. He extended himself to you. He inconvenienced himself to the point of death on a cross for you. It is because of him that we can love. And it's because of his love that people will be transformed. People in our village will be transformed by our loving our neighbor as ourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love the village to the ends of the earth. Then it goes on, and there's a lot more, and, and there's not going to be time to get into all of it, but the last thing is, know what time it is. We talked about how Rob, he woke up and had no clue what time it was. Funny story, right? But if he knew what time it was, he probably would have done something differently. Probably would have been like, stop it, went back to bed. Because that's what we all did. As soon as we all were done laughing, we all went to bed, right? He didn't know what time it was. And in the scripture, it says, besides this, besides what we've just talked about, you know what time it is. You know, you understand what time it is and how now is the moment for you to wake from your sleep. Right now is the moment that you wake up because salvation is nearer now than it was when you became a believer. And that kind of sounds like a weird prophetic thing, Paul says, right? But it's not. If you think about it, what he's saying is, Jesus told me he was coming back. And he didn't come back yet. So that means I'm at least a day closer. We know that he's coming back. We know that he's going to do what he said he was going to do, which means we know what time it is. And it means it's time we don't just sit around and sleep. It's time we love our neighbor as ourself everywhere we go. When Kirsten and I found out Wade was going to be born, after a, a few weeks of inward contemplation where we didn't really talk about it out loud, because that happened, she's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a baby. I was like, huh. And then I was like, interesting. And then we didn't talk about it, literally for a few weeks, no joke, a couple weeks. And once it kind of sunk in, once we knew this is, this is our life now, this is what we got to do, we knew, she goes to doctor's appointments, we knew what time he was coming, or at least around that time, right? He was supposed to come March 6th, much earlier than that, turns out. But we knew there's a time. I know that it's almost time for him to get here. So guess what we did after we got past the shock part, right? Guess what we did? We started by talking about it. What are we going to do? What are we going to name him? What are we going to, what's our life going to look like? How are we going to do this? Try to, try to become parents. Try to turn into parents. Then it moves from talk to action. Why don't we, look, those diapers are on sale. I think we'll probably need those. Maybe. You do. <laughs> so we bought some. Bought some diapers, bought some wipes, bought those things you need, bought him a little swing, and then we knew, oh, we're going to have a baby shower. Oh, pe people are going to buy us stuff. That's, that was great. So someone set that up, and that happened, and we got all this stuff. And, and then we decided, well, let's decorate his room. Let's put his crib together. 
Let's put up a decoration. We knew what time it was. We knew we had time. We knew what we had to do. So we did it. And here's the thing. He was going to come at that time no matter what. What happened? I'm sure glad we didn't just stay in the not talking about it phase the whole time. Because when you know what time it is, you know what you got to do. And what Paul's trying to teach us, last week we talked all about the marks of a true Christian. He was trying to say, this is what we have to do. This is what the love of God leans us into, leads us towards. Because of the power of God in our lives, this is how we live. Because of the power of God in our life, because of the love of God, because of the spirit we live with, love your neighbor as yourself today. Right now, every neighbor, every person you see, love them as yourself because that is how people will know who Jesus is. You don't have to stand on the corner and yell at them and tell them they're going to hell if they don't change. What you have to do is love them like yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love your village to the ends of the earth. Love God. Love your village to the ends of the earth. And, and, I, and I would be... It would be silly of me to not talk about it. If you don't love God, if you don't know who God is or what he's done for you, if you've never decided that that's something you, you care about, what I want you to know is that God loves you. And think about all the things that you've done that aren't very good. They exist, right? But it doesn't matter. Because while we were still sinners, which means if you are still sinner... We all do things that we're not supposed to. While we still sin, Christ still died for you. God loves you. So the first thing is that we should love God. Because everything else flows out of that. Our love for God means we want to grow closer to God. Our relationship with God means we want to live like he does. Living like God means we love our village. And we love our neighbor. And loving our neighbor means there's more of us that also know God's love. And also know how to love their neighbor. Which means, since we know what time it is, and it's coming soon, sooner today than yesterday, it's good. Love God. Love your village to the ends of the earth. Will you bow your heads with me? God, thank you for caring about us. Thank you for loving us in the midst of the, the things we do. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you for grace upon grace and mercy and mercy and mercy. Thank you for your love. God, we pray that we'd be able to love you more. We pray today that we love you more than we did when we got here. That we understand what time it is. So that when we leave this place, we love our village. We love every single person around us that we've seen, that we know, that we love, and those we don't. Thank you for providing. Thank you for caring. Thank you for loving. We pray that we would be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Amen. So as you go this week, as you leave this place today... Remember that God loves you and love God 
and love your village to the ends of the earth. You're dismissed.